Welcome to Art Glider. Join your favourite art curators as we chat with all kinds of people in the art, culture and NFT space. Welcome to season two of Art Glider, the light bulb moment. We chat to creative pioneers about their light bulb moments. We discover what brought up their creative epiphanies and how they followed through to get where they are today. The light bulb moment provides you with practical tips to work towards your own light bulb moment. Before we begin, I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from which we're recording today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Kim, welcome to the Lightbulb Moment podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having oh, me. It's so great to have you in here. We've known each other for nearly eight years now. I know. And it's been at least a couple of years since we've seen each other. So yeah. it's so nice to see your beautiful face. Oh, in person as well. <laughs> yeah, How wonderful yeah. is that? Uh, so, Kim, tell me what your light bulb moment was. Oh, well, you're going to hate me because I don't actually have just one light bulb moment. There are have been so many inventions and reinventions over the years um, that I think there's several light bulb moments along the way that sort of take you to where you need to go. Mm. I think first one would have been um, when I was, you know, in my teens thinking about going to university and I was actually meant to study accounting and I had a scholarship for accounting um, at Elon University in North Carolina. And about a month before uni was supposed to start, I went with my parents to do a little visit to the campus and realized I didn't want to do accounting anymore. I wanted to move to the other side of the country and instead I wanted to study art history. So I did. (laughs) And that kind of took me on this journey of learning art history, being so inspired that I decided I wanted to also study art, got a couple degrees in that. And then I graduated from university for my first two degrees having studied printmaking, ceramics, fibers, sculpture, literally everything except painting, and then realized after I graduated that I wanted to start studying painting instead. So then I went and got another degree at um, School of the Art Institute of Chicago and sort of studied that and had 8,000,000 light bulb moments along the way throughout that degree uh, until I arrived at uh, becoming a professional painter. And really, I could tell you so many light bulb moments along the way that kind of really changed Mm. the trajectory of my life, but then we'd be here for hours. So Mm. I'd say those are some of the big ones that kind of got me to where I'm on the path that I am on now. Oh, amazing. I didn't know that you're art history as well. Cause mm. that's, and a lot of the team actually at Art Pharmacy are too. And I'm, yeah. an art, I'm UK yeah. art, art history. So with so how about the, your art making journey? When did it begin? Was it here in Australia? Was it was it actually in Chicago? And what was the journey starting off now and being a finalist for major art prizes? I mean, that's a really big question. Mm. I'd love to hear that journey. Yeah, totally. I mean, I started kind of doodling and making little sculptures and things when I was quite young. Cause my mom um, is a painter just for meditation and for fun Um, and my dad does sculpting and wood sculpting and ceramic sculpting for fun as well my little sibling does it as well so we're just kind of a very artsy on the side family and um, you know I did took all the electives in high school and and then in unis I sort of started to really 
have a lot more intention behind what I was creating and really think about what I was creating instead of just haphazardly chucking together something that I thought looked cool. Um, and yeah, I w- I'd say that it was after my painting degree that I realized I actually wanted to pursue this as a profession. And I started painting. I did painting for about two years and just lived off of that alone. But it was at the point where I was like, go to the pub, pay five bucks in Chicago for a Boilermaker, like a beer and a shot of Jameson. But I couldn't afford toilet paper, so I would steal toilet paper from the pub and bring it home. Like, it was dire straits. And I was also having to paint things that I didn't want to make. So I was taking commissions of literally anything that anyone would hire me to paint. And it just felt a bit soul-sucking and wasn't sort of living the dream that I had imagined a life of an artist would be. So then I got a full-time job. And I kept that job for 12 and a half years, and it actually moved me over to Australia. So after about two years of living um, with a full-time job and being an artist on the side, I yeah moved here, and it was supposed to be a two-year contract. And then I kind of fell in love with Australia and I'd gotten into the Archibald Prize and I was like, you know, maybe I should really stick it out here. And I did for another 10 years and then it got to the point where I didn't have time to work at my full-time job that I loved so much and I loved the people I worked with. I loved most, mostly everything about it. I mean, there's always going to be things about a full-time job that you're like, ugh, wish I didn't have to do that. But Really, it came to the point that I actually did not have time and physically my body was feeling the toll of working Mm. 40 to 50 hours a week and painting at least 40 hours a week. So it was, you know, lack of sleep, you're up till 3 a.m., your weekends are gone, no social life. And uh, made the decision, I guess, nine months ago now to quit that job and pursue art full time. And a lot of people are quite surprised when I tell them I've only been doing that for less than a year um, because obviously, you know, I've exhibited a lot and been in a lot of art prizes. But it takes a while to get to the point where you can actually live off of your art without having to be in the studio 80 hours a week. Mm. And huge congratulations. That's incredible because it's that, that demarcation of actually I'm moving into a new direction now. So Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah. Took some adjusting. I did a lot of um, not painting, so yeah. a lot of probably about, I don't know, four or five months where I as soon as I quit my job, I knocked out a solo show and that was painting maybe I don't know, 16, 17, 18 hours a day, getting two, three hours of sleep and waking up and doing it all over again for about five weeks, which completely took its toll. And then I just took a few months off and traveled, went skiing in Aspen, went to New Caledonia, you know, had a little holiday from life, really. Um, And now I'm at the point where I've just started getting back back into painting um and the first painting that i made of the year got into the archibald which is really fun congratulations well what a year and what a what a journey you've been on and and what you're saying is having a full-time job and also being a a a painter as well i mean i'd love to hear about what boundaries that you want to push in your work what 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 are you exploring Mm. at the moment and where you've come from as well yeah listeners that that don't necessarily don't necessarily know who you are yeah absolutely i think my work the consistent theme ever since i started painting and even really predating that when i was doing ceramics and tapestries um and and printmaking and things is exploring the fluidity of identity and gender. So really pushing the boundaries of how people perceive the human b- form, the human body, um, how they perceive gender identity through 
a mix of abstract mark making and realism. And I've, I've started my slow descent into more and more abstraction, which I know you know I've wanted to do forever. And I'm, I'm just doing it very slowly. That's a theme in my life that you may re- have noticed. I just, I tend to decide I want to do something and then take 10 years to actually start doing it. It's classic Capricorn. I have to do all my research and practice and all these things. Um, but eventually I want to be able to convey someone through pure abstract mark making without... Um, having to do at incorporate any figurative realism in there at all, but I just every time I paint an abstract on its own, I feel that it's not conveying the message that I'm aiming for. Um, so someday you'll see me making purely abstract work, but that day is not now. Okay. So for now, I'm still kind of exploring that gender boundary and identity boundary and what is beauty and you know celebrating queerness. Mm, and I love I've always loved your work and been following it and and I was just having a look at your work again this morning after when we when we were from you know seven or eight years ago and you there is these you go on these beautiful stories with Mm. with different people so I love that and I I noticed a lot um, in your portraits there are that the absence of the body so in that is that the series that you did queer corporeality oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and the body is fragmented Um, and how's the representation of body in, in in your work speak to the queer representation yeah well I think as queer people we we move through the world in a different way um that at least that's my understanding as a queer person and that seems to be the way that my friends and my community and I feel that we move through the world but there's a certain fluidity there's a certain um reactivity to one another there's constant exploration there's constant reinvention and sometimes society will cast their own interpretations onto queer people and sometimes we cast our own interpretations onto ourselves and are constantly having to check that and balance that and reinvent ourselves. So I think the the sort of capturing the essence of a figure, for example, in queer corporeality, I was aiming to cap- capture the essence of a human, show the topography and the maps that we create on our bodies, tattoos, top surgery, um, you know, like different shapes that queer people often will find super, super sexy that perhaps the heteronormative world might reject and um, just exploring ways that we can um, see the figure as almost like a landscape and a topography of of our lives. Mm, it's so beautiful and I love the way you say we you, you walk through the world in a different way and it's, it, that's a really interesting way. It, it was just quite beautiful really the way that yeah, thank you for thank summing you. that up. <laughs> uh, and I really love the vibrancy and the creativity behind uh, the work Courtney and Sh- Shane. Mm. How do you choose your subjects in in your portraiture work? Do they come to you naturally? Do you go out and seek them? H- how does that come about? I actually just paint my friends. I'm really lazy. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. You've got yeah. a lot of friends. <laughs> I do have so many friends. That's the beauty of the queer community. <laughs> so many friends um, and so many really talented and creative friends. Like this mm. year for the Archibald, I was just thinking, 
thinking about all my mates and I'm like, all right, who's this year's victim going to be? Wow. <laughs> and so I just reached out to Zoe and was like, mate, can I paint you for the Archibald? But also I prefaced it with it probably be, it probably won't get in because I've been in a few times now and I'm like... Six times, is that right? Seven, yeah. Seven, seven. seven wow. And twice in the Solman. So I was like, there's no way I'm, they're going to let me in again. I've been in too many years in a row. Like, So I, we, yeah, I had sort of prepared them for not getting in and then when it did, we were really excited and surprised and now like the Courtney painting as well it's on, on the banners all over and bus shelters and stuff and and here in Sydney yeah. yeah and they've actually done that with my work every year except for the work uh, the year that I got in with a self-portrait and it was me from the back nude and I had my sex strap on harness on the back and I, I was turned to the side and you could only see the outline of my face like a, a line and I didn't paint my face at all and that was a kind of a year where I was like there's no way this is getting in and it did miraculously so someday I'm going to get a full nude portrait into the Archibald it's very hard to do for a female nude though wow. so we'll see um, but yeah that's the only year they didn't do it but uh, you know, generally speaking, unless it's locked down, when I did a lot of self-portraits, I'm always just finding know, chucking you. a stone at one of my friends and being like, "You." <laughs> and have you got a studio at home, or do you have I a studio? Do. Yeah, so you so you can work from home. I suppose that's why you can work. You know, three o'clock in the morning or yeah. you know, seven a.m. in the morning. Yeah, yeah. and I've thought about. Um, you know, getting a studio with other artists around because it is really nice to have that critique and dialogue. But I'm an extrovert and I love to chat, so I think that it would just be a huge distraction to work in a in a studio with lots of other artists. So instead, I just go and visit my friends in their studios. Um, and it would be really nice to have a studio outside of my home now that I'm doing art full time because I found before it was a convenience thing because I'm slogging away at work 40, 50 hours a mm. week. And then I just want to be able to, you know, bring my dog into the studio with me and paint for a while and then go get a snack and things like that. But mm. it's getting to the point now where I think I need some separation because I'm finding it hard to balance between like work life because now you know painting is work life um, and personal life they're quite blended together which could be a great and beautiful thing but also I don't want to slip into the abyss and never see my friends anymore because I'm always in the studio so wonderful and and how does your work fit into the or or counter counteract the history of portraiture Mm. Well, I guess history will be the judge of that. <laughs> but I, when I think about portraiture, having studied it, um, I, I think about the many, 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 many years, hundreds of years, where portraits of women were very much either a celebration or a glorification of like a family, for example. And, um, you know, people are done up and touched up or or paintings of, you know, potential brides for kings that were painted and sent around the world. And again, they're kind of airbrushed and made into their most beautiful selves and then sent to some prince trying to marry her off or, you know, portraits of women, especially female nudes that are really just kind of gross displays of misogyny and mm. the male gaze and so I'm just trying to sort of disrupt the the history the history of portraiture and and really if you look at portraiture of queer people it's largely just pure queer people doing self portraits or taking photographs of other queer people in their community or 
um, you know, things like that. So I, I hadn't really found a lot of people. Now I've found quite a lot of people who are doing it, which is amazing. Um, but even still, the percentage is quite small. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's a space for queer portraiture, and it's um, something that I'm occupying right now. And I have a, I have a feeling that I'll eventually gravitate away from and focus more on bodies and landscapes and abstracts and things like that. Mm. I did see that you were doing you've re- recently been in Sedona and you did the landscape. Oh yeah, I love yeah, Sedona. yeah. I love Sedona as well so much. And it's I really in Arizona, like painting. Yeah, yeah, I used to live in Arizona. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay. with all the cactuses. Very dry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm a desert kid. But I've lived all over the U.S. Um, I moved around a lot. And I've now lived in Redfern just down the street for Mm. uh, 11 years and on the same street for the full 11 years, which is wild because as someone who's moved around every between sometimes it was every six months and then up to, you know, maybe spending a few years at a time somewhere, it's really nice to find somewhere to call home in mm, your local community i'm sure as yeah well. oh god yeah i know all my neighbors <laughs> oh it's wonderful can't walk out the door without saying hello to 10 people and mm. yeah it's really lovely you sound like you got a really strong sense of community with yeah yeah with your friends and your neighbors and i think that's actually where a lot of um, happiness also comes from you know with, with mm. community I mean, i'd like to know what all your other aspirations are or goals that you've got in your in the future that we can sort of see where you're heading towards oh yes okay so if anyone listening can help me do this that would be amazing but I want to create a gigantic labyrinth that explores gender and it's not just me I want like a hundred different queer artists from around the world to contribute to it I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work yet so that's why I have to work it out before I apply for grants but and this is like 10 years down the line it'll take me ages to figure out how to do this in my mind classic. <laughs> I'm realizing this theme only in this podcast that yeah. I just take forever to decide to actually push the button on things. But what I'm imagining is on the outer extremities, you walk in and you start to see some of the most extreme versions of what society might perceive queer culture as. So, you know, BDSM, leather, um, you know, dyke bars with plaid or what do you call it here? Tartan? No. Tartan? Yeah. Um, plaid and tartan and, you know, keychains hanging from uh, from pockets and things like that. Um, and as you move closer and closer, you'll start to see different elements of the queer community that maybe are less overt or are less known by the wider society. And as you get deeper in it, it becomes more fluid and more complex. And, you know, artists can interpret that however they want, but I have to work out how do you find your way through the labyrinth? How many times do you have to get through it to be able to see every artist's work? How do you get out if you start having a panic attack? You know, (laughs) things Mm. like that. There's a lot to um, break down about what this will be, but I think I'm imagining something like, uh, you know, Sydney Contemporary Art Fair, but in a labyrinth form and with only queer artists. Mm, amazing. Mm. And is it just going to be in Australia or thinking globally? Globally. Babe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And my brain has started really thinking globally now, especially after having um, finished up work and kind of I stuck to Australia and a little bit in Chicago and a little bit in France just because it was convenient and that's kind of where I had connections. But now I'm like, all right, it's time to 
spread my wings because now I have time to go and travel and do things like mm. that. So Yeah, that was one of my last questions, actually, because obviously you've been in Australia and I've just come back from traveling and it just opens up your whole world to actually what's out there and how mm. small Australia can be. Totally. So have you got sights on, on going back? Have you got any more travel? Have you done any um, you know, studio visit or artist residencies around the world? Yeah, I actually have an artist residency coming up in Grafton. Oh, <laughs> I love like it with all the jacarandas. Yeah. I love Grafton. It's still in still in New South Wales, really, but um, I'm very excited about that because it's uh, for an exhibition called Refiguring Ground, and um, five queer artists from around New South Wales are going to go have a residency there and sort of respond to their permanent collection and and put a queer lens on on everything that they've collected so far. Um, but yeah, I have been looking at different residencies, traveling scholarships. Um, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of possibility. There's a really cool one in Paris um, that's a few months. But I also have a little dog, and I don't want to spend too much time away from her because she's 11, and unless she gets mm. bitten by a vampire dog and lives forever... I only have a few few years left yeah. with her, so yeah. I probably won't go anywhere for too long um, until whatever happens come to fruition. But we won't think about that. That's right. <laughs> and I suppose, is there anything else, any other, anything you'd like to impart in our listeners today as an inspiration or any, uh, I mean, I suppose a light bulb moments. Is there anything that you can impart wisdom on to, yeah, to our listeners? Yeah, I think um, allow yourself the the reinvention and the constant um, search for light bulb moments. So don't just stick to one, you know what I mean? Like that's, if you allow yourself, you can completely disrupt the way that you live your life. You can completely disrupt the way that you make your own art. You can challenge yourself. You can change your mind um, and be really open to experimentation and, and trying new things and taking big risks because the worst that can happen is you don't like what you create or you don't like the direction you've gone in and guess what? You can have another light bulb moment and disrupt again and move in the direction that you knew was right in the first place. So, mm, yeah. That's beautiful. And do you write one last question? Do you write these down or do you have like a vision board or do you just yeah. sit on the, on that moment yeah. and just see if it keeps resonating with you? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank really you. great to reconnect with you after all these years, Kim. Yeah, you as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Lightbulb Moment, where creatives shed light on their career-defining epiphanies. Don't forget to like and share this episode and leave a review if you love what we do. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn at artpharmacy or sugarglider.digital and watch your space for more tips from creative pioneers.